The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 178 Jesus' Ministry Begins A Jewish wedding was an overpowering experience. Live music, dancing, good food, and excellent wine were the standard at such celebrations, which lasted up to a week. Marriage was a thing to celebrate. Before Jesus began his public ministry, he, his mother, and his disciples were among the guests at a wedding in the hillside town of Cana in Galilee. Hundreds of people from Nazareth, Bethsaida, and Capernaum were celebrating the wedding of the groom and his bride. Throughout the wedding feast, guests offered numerous toasts to the couple, their parents, and others who had shared in their lives. But there was a problem. Jesus, may I speak with you, please? Mary looked a little worried. Jesus excused himself from the table in the courtyard where he was sitting among the other guests. The couple's families were not expecting all of the relatives from Bethsaida to attend. Mary said urgently. The feast still has a couple of days left and they have run out of wine. Mary was concerned for the two families. They would be terribly embarrassed if they had nothing more to serve or they would incur a great cost if they tried to buy enough additional wine to last the rest of the wedding feast. Over the 30 years since an angel announced that God would conceive a son in her through the power of the Holy Spirit, she had seen many miracles in his life. Jesus also cared about the families, and he knew that running out of wine would diminish the joyful mood of the wedding feast. He knew what his mother wanted him to do, perform a miracle for them. Jesus looked toward the serving tables, where he could see the wine steward starting to look nervous. Mother, what is that to you and me? He asked. My time has not yet come. Jesus was helping his mother realize that although he could ask his father to intervene, this was not the best time for him to perform the first public miracle of his ministry. He looked into his mother's eyes and saw the look of care and concern in her face. Even though her request was not wise in some ways, he wanted to honor her. After a moment, he nodded. Mary rushed to the wine stewards. Whatever my son tells you to do, do it, she said. Not wanting to draw attention to himself, Jesus walked over and greeted the stewards. He pointed to several large stone containers next to the wall on the other side of the courtyard and told them to fill them with water. The servants did so, filling them with more than 120 gallons of water, even though they did not understand why or what was about to happen. Jesus told them to draw the liquid out from the jars and take it to the banquet manager. Then he quietly returned to his table and resumed his conversation with his friends and family. 
The servants looked at each other, perplexed. Across the courtyard, they saw the banquet manager talking to the only servant still standing at the wine table. He asked why the other wine stewards were not at the wine table, and why there was no wine. The father of the groom excused himself from the head table and began walking toward the wine table. One of the servants quickly obeyed Jesus' instruction, picking up a ladle and scooping out some water. But something had happened. The water was now a deep red color and had a distinctive smell. It wasn't water at all. It was wine. Shocked, the stewards poured the wine into a wine jar, then hurriedly filled it up and brought it to the wine-serving table. Ah, here we are. The banquet manager said apologetically as the stewards poured the men goblets of wine. When he tasted it, he smiled. Excellent, he said. He gestured for the groom, who was standing nearby, to come over to the wine table. Where has this fine wine been hiding? Excuse me, sir? The puzzled groom asked. Most men have their servants put out the best wine at the beginning of the wedding feast. Then after a while, when people don't notice, he tells them to put out the lower quality wine. But you have kept your best wine until now. Jesus had just given his host about 4,000 goblets of fine wine by asking his father to miraculously transform it out of water. Many did not know about the miracle, but some did, including the wine stewards and the disciples. But everyone experienced the result. High quality wine and a festive end to the wedding feast celebration. At this point, Jesus was about 30 years old. In the fall of A.D. 27, John baptized him and announced that he, Jesus of Nazareth, was the Christ, the Savior. Jesus had then faced Satan and qualified to replace him on the throne of the earth and to reestablish God's rule over mankind. God the Father began calling Jesus' disciples and Jesus began his ministry. Jesus' life and ministry had five main purposes. To qualify to replace Satan as king of the earth. To announce the kingdom of God. To suffer the death penalty for sin for every person who has ever lived. To be resurrected from the dead, making it possible for others to be resurrected and to establish the foundation of God's church. As the day of Passover approached in A.D. 28, Jesus journeyed to Jerusalem. This would be the first Passover he would keep during his ministry, but first he needed to do something important. Jesus entered the city gate and approached the temple the place where God dwelled. He walked up the steps and through the gate into the temple's courtyard. There he looked around at what people were doing in the midst of this beautiful structure dedicated to worshiping God. To his left, a man sat beside several stacks of bird cages containing cooing, flapping doves. Beside him, a man sat at a booth holding a leather case. 
He was talking to another man carrying a similar case around his neck. They were both money exchangers and they seemed to be arguing with each other. To the right were more dove and pigeon sellers, more money exchangers, and a number of men selling oxen and sheep, which were lowing and bleating. At his feet, the paved stones were soiled with bits of hay, fodder, and animal droppings. This was another normal day in the pre-Passover season, when the merchants with the best locations and the best prices made more profits than usual. But Jesus did not see this as just another normal day. He saw it as an outrage. For years, he had been angered by how people treated this holy place. Now he would do something about it. But he did not lash out in emotional fury. He controlled his emotions. He took the time to fashion a leather whip using several small cords. Then he took action. The table that two money exchanges had been bickering over flipped completely over and landed on its top. Coins clattered across the pavestones and bounced into the sheep corrals. Whirling around, the exchanges, several customers, and a nearby pigeon seller stared in astonishment at Jesus of Nazareth, who stood where the table had been. Striding across the coins that now littered the ground, he unlatched the gate to one of the sheep corrals and used the whip to herd them away from the inner temple and toward the exit. Then he set loose an ox and drove it to the exit as its bewildered seller trailed behind. After a few moments, one of the dove sellers managed to challenge Jesus. What do you think you're doing? He demanded. Jesus turned and faced the man. His look of determination forced the seller to take a step back. Take your animals out of here! Jesus commanded with a strong voice, loud enough for everyone in the vicinity to hear. Do not make my father's house a marketplace! Hundreds of people watched as Jesus proceeded to compel the bird sellers to pack their cages onto carts and leave, to personally drive oxen and sheep out of the courtyard, and to overthrow the tables and booths of those who refused to leave voluntarily. Jesus worked his way around the entire courtyard, expelling every last business from the temple courtyard, one by one. Walking up the steps into the temple, some of Jesus' disciples were shocked to see angry merchants, wealthy money exchanges, and dozens of clattering birdcage carts oxen and sheep streaming out one of the gates. Entering the temple courtyard, they saw their master whipping the last oxen toward the gate. The disciples were amazed by Jesus' willingness to disrupt and upset hundreds of prominent people for the sake of cleansing God's temple. They remembered Psalm 69 verse 9, The zeal of your house shall eat me up. Jesus was certainly zealous for God and his temple. Finally, a number of priests and Levites arrived in the temple courtyard to speak with Jesus. A crowd of hundreds of people surrounded him. The leading priest spoke in a strong tone. Jesus of Nazareth, you clearly believe that you have authority to take matters here in the temple into your own hands. What are you doing? 
You say you're cleansing your father's house. Another priest interjected. You must think you're a prophet. Maybe you think you're the Christ. You aren't even a priest, yet you've taken charge here in this temple. Show us a miraculous sign that you have the authority to do this. The crowd waited in silence. Then Jesus responded with an intriguing answer. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Ripples of chatter went through the crowd. What did he say? Who is he? Did he say the temple is going to be destroyed? Does he mean the actual temple? How could someone raise all these huge buildings back up in three days? What do you think he means? What do you think he means? This temple was under construction for 46 years. The priest answered, And it is not going to be destroyed. Even if it was, do you think you could rebuild it in three days? That is a very strange thing to say. Jesus did not argue. He had done what he had set out to do, and he had answered the priest's question. Jesus' response was intentionally mysterious. When he said, temple, he was actually referring to his own body, which was like a temple that housed the Holy Spirit. It was actually his body that would be destroyed. He would be killed, but God would resurrect him after three days. This was the only sign Jesus would give that he was the Christ. The priest could see that they were not going to get any further response from Jesus, so they returned to their temple duties. Although they did not talk about it, they felt too guilty to criticize Jesus further. They knew that they were the ones who should have kept all those merchants out of the temple in the first place. Jesus Christ's ministry had begun. He was full of powerful, godly confidence, and he was ready to face the scrutiny, questions, and persecution that was about to descend on him. His courage came from the same source of strength that he had relied on to survive the wilderness and the attacks of Satan. It came from his daily prayer and study with his Father in heaven. Soon, Rumors began to spread in Jerusalem. My cousin says he saw a man heal someone at the plaza near Market Street. I heard that a man miraculously healed a crippled lady yesterday. Our neighbor said that his boss's grandbaby was born with a skin disease, but a carpenter from Galilee healed him. A man healed my son's broken leg. A man healed me. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. Word traveled quickly that the same man who drove the merchants out of the temple before Passover had also healed dozens of people from their sicknesses, diseases, and injuries. People sought out Jesus of Nazareth. Some were wondering if he might be the Christ. But when they asked him directly, he did not reveal that he was indeed the Christ. He did not want to cause an uproar that would stop him from finishing his ministry. He needed more time to preach the message of the kingdom of God, to guide people to repentance, and to train his disciples before that day when he would sacrifice himself for the sake of the world. Night had fallen. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was almost over. 
Jesus Christ was still at his accommodation in Jerusalem. In a few days, he would return to his home in Capernaum. Jesus opened the door to a distinguished man wearing a fine night cloak. I am Nicodemus, the man said. I am part of the Sanhedrin. Jesus invited him in, and the two sat down in the living room. Your actions in the temple and your miracles of healing have come to our attention, Nicodemus explained. We know that you are a teacher sent by God. No man could do the miracles you have done unless God was with him. Jesus knew Nicodemus had come at night because he did not want others to know that he was interested in Jesus' teachings. Nevertheless, he had come because he urgently wanted to know if Jesus was the Christ, the one sent by God who would rise up to become king of the Jews. Jesus was indeed the Christ, but he did not want the focus on himself. Jesus would show Nicodemus that he did not really understand the role of the Christ, nor did he understand about God's kingdom. He answered Nicodemus' statement by getting straight to the point. Truly I say to you, he said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was puzzled. He thought. And how can a man be born a second time? How can a man be born when he is old? He asked. Can a full-grown man enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered by explaining what it meant to be born again. Truly I say to you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Jesus was explaining that people cannot become part of God's kingdom without becoming spiritually converted. Someone who is born physically is a physical human being. Someone who is born into God's spiritual kingdom is actually a spirit being. A person must be called by God, baptized and begotten by God the Father with the Holy Spirit. Then he or she must grow spiritually, just as a begotten baby must grow physically in his mother's womb. Then once converted, he will be born into God's kingdom when Jesus Christ establishes it on earth. Being born of water refers to a person being begotten spiritually by repenting, being baptized, and allowing ministers to pray for God to give that person His Holy Spirit. Being born of the Spirit refers to a person growing spiritually and being resurrected as a spirit being into the kingdom of God. Don't be astonished that I said you must be born again, Nicodemus. The wind blows where it wants, and you hear it, but you can't tell where it is coming from or where it goes. This is what people become like after they are born of spirit. How can these things be? Nicodemus asked, confused. Jesus went on to explain that the religious teachers and rulers in Israel, including Nicodemus, 
were ignorant of these spiritual things, God had not opened their minds to understand. He told Nicodemus that if he did not understand that the kingdom of God was spiritual, or the basic differences between physical and spiritual things, he would not be able to understand very much at all. What if I told you another spiritual truth? Jesus asked. No one has ascended up into heaven, but one person soon will ascend to heaven, the Son of Man who came down from heaven. Jesus told Nicodemus that his father loved every human being, and his father was making an enormous sacrifice. He was giving up his only begotten son so that human beings could eventually have eternal spiritual life. Jesus also warned Nicodemus about the evil satanic nature that human beings have. As Nicodemus walked through the night back to his home, he thought over the teachings that he had just heard. He did not understand them, but he recognized they were based on the scriptures and had a powerful ring of truth. In the future weeks and months, he would study the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. Later, when Jesus was tortured and murdered, Nicodemus was one of the men who would honor him by making sure his body was cared for and buried in a tomb. Nicodemus would realize that Jesus of Nazareth was teaching the truth. To be continued in our next episode, and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church. Thank you.